Petersfield's Shine Radio. Month. We maybe are celebrating the end of dry January. Yes, yeah, some some well, some people maybe more more than others. Semi dry. <laughs> we might get to that there later. Is, there, there has been a brilliant meme on social media this month about like celebrating dry January. Excellent stocks with Sauvignon Blanc. Uh, links to some content. <laughs> links to some content we've got coming up later about a question we've had from a listener, Phil. We've had a listener's a question. Listener. I understand that we have listeners in. Denmark, We've Australia, got a, yes, absolutely, the States, Belgium, yes, Belgium, and the States, yeah. Are there any in Petersfield? Hello, <laughs> send us a question, send us a letter. Anyway, anyway, uh, what are we talking about this month? We got normal wine days as well, Phil. Normal wine days? Yeah, you know we normally talk about wine. Oh, days. normally That's talking about wine days. Yeah, so it's we not have a little wine days thing going on again. You've been to somewhere very exciting, haven't you? So we're going to talk about the Nodding Donkey. I've been to the Festival Hall. Yes. Not just to be in Panto. Oh, oh yes, yes, I yes, have. Yes. Which you can't see now because it's now February, so it's all finished. Yeah, Come you'll to have the to next go next show. year. Yeah, Come next yeah, year. Yeah. But anyway, I talked to the bar manager in there. Something different. We've got a very enthusiastic wine importer who I had a chat with. Oh, excellent. And, uh, we're going to talk a little bit about Spain, a little bit about non-alcoholic beers. So, um, yeah, it's just a bit of, a bit of banter, isn't it, really? For it is, February yeah. Banter. So the first thing we're going to do, because we have both come to the microphone absolutely frozen to the marrow. Yes. So we feel it is our, our public duty to give everybody the classic hot toddy recipe. Yes. You need an ounce and a half, fluid ounce and a half of whiskey, a tablespoon of honey, half an ounce of lemon juice, top it up with hot water, give it a stir with a nice cinnamon stick and stick a slice of lemon in it. And that should see you right. It should see you right. I'm not a massive fan of whiskey, but I'm partial to a hot toddy. Mm. Float some star anise in. That's my top tip. Oh, fancy. And maybe a bit of cardamom. Depends how good your whiskey is. If your whiskey's really good, you won't need to bother. But if it's not to your taste, then find, find other ways to disguise it. <laughs> disguise it. <laughs> a woman's well, a medicinal, medicinal purposes. Yeah. Anyway, there we are. That's our gift to you at the start of the show. Carmenere, Carmenere, the grape of Chile. Chile. Funny you were just talking about being cold. Oh, please, no, no. It is still panto season at the moment, but... Anyway, (laughs) we often talk about countries having signature grapes, you know, the the thing that they are really known for. Over the hills in Argentina, we'd be talking Malbec in the red square. But in Chile, it is Carmenere. That is their grape. Or is it? Dun, dun, dun. dun. I have a feeling you're about to tell me it didn't (laughs) arrive there all on its own, did it? Were the Romans involved, Phil? Well, no, where do I always go to when I start talking about wine? You go to France, don't you? I go to France, I go to Bordeaux. Back in the day, well, back in the day, the classic varieties in Bordeaux 
would be your Cabernet Sauvignon, mm -hmm. your Merlot, your Cabernet Franc, your Malbec, mm -hmm. and your Carmenere. That really? was the classic blend. But come the 1860s, Ooh, 1867, Teluxera. <laughs> A little bug chewed its way through the vineyards, absolutely knocked them for six. Mm. And the, uh, the solution was you graft your vines onto American rootstock, which is resistance. Yes. Which is resistant. Not resistance, resistant. Yes, well, the French have resistance, oh, oh, but in other ways. Other, yeah. other, yeah, French That's, resistance is a different thing. Yes, no, we're is. talking about American yes. resistant. We are, yes, American resistant rootstock, yeah. That's the one. Yeah. Anyway, the grafting of the Carmenere didn't really like that. Oh, no. It didn't take to it. Oh. So it kind of, I don't Did want to say on withered vine. on the vine. I didn't, <laughs> I was so trying not to say that. We're so predictable, Phil. Yeah. <laughs> but it really didn't take to it, and... The climate, it was a little bit marginal anyway yeah. for, for ripening it. So it didn't make it. It didn't make it. And where's Carmenere gone? There is none. People think it's, it's disappeared. Mm. In Chile, they're making wine. They're making what they think is a lovely Merlot. It's soft. Mm. It's plummy. It's quite drinkable. And it really takes off. Over the years, more and more of that has grown until actually in 1994, so not that no, long that's ago. That's relatively recent, isn't it? Somebody, uh, that somebody was uh, Jean Marie Boursicot, mm -hmm. together with the winemaker Claude Vallat, noticed that the Merlot, which they thought they were growing, yeah. was taking a little longer to ripen. Yeah. And there was some stuff that was ripening a bit earlier, but not quite so much of that. And they actually started looking properly at the grapes that they had. Oh, wow. And lo and behold, it was actually Carmen, yeah, not Merlot. Oh, the wow. ones that were ripening early was the little bit of Merlot that was yeah, in there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And the Carmen, yeah, was... It was Carmen, yeah. It was taking longer to, to ripen, yeah. So it's only the last 20 years yeah. when they, they've actually known the, the gold right that they've got yeah, and yeah. stuck the right label on it. So it's boomed in popularity because it's such a drinkable wine. Well, absolutely. It's quite soft. It's plummy. It's got some interesting hints in it. It's It's got a little bit of that green pepper that you get mm. in Cabernet Sauvignon. It's got a, a little bit of that leathery chocolatey thing. Just little touches of these. Yeah. Um, makes it really interesting, but very friendly. Yeah, yeah. It is grown elsewhere, but... Like 90% you know, of it yeah, is grown you know, in Chile. Chile yeah. Angle, how did it get there? How did it get there in the first place? Well, it arrived from Bordeaux to Chile yeah, yeah, yeah. in about 1850. Okay. 1850 is before 1860. Yeah. So all the stuff that got shipped out there was Phylloxera free. Oh, so original. And it was going into <gasps> Phylloxera free. Stock. Oh my gosh. On its own rootstock because yeah, it didn't yeah. get on well with the grafting thing. Yeah. And it was planted up and down the Maypo Valley and loved it. The yeah. conditions were absolutely superb for growing it. That's how it got there. And it's been hiding away there all this time. And, well, should you go drink some? Goodness me, of course you should. The herbs, the pepper, the, the I'll lusciousness, give you a the softness. In a bit, Phil, but, and I'm yeah. sure it's going to be a good one. But yeah. I often wine, say to it? people, yeah. it's. It's kind of a, a plush Merlot. 
It is. Yeah, it's got like a bit of a velvety vibe. Very, very goes cuddly onto it. Merlot. And I love its little story. I shall now forever think of it as Carmen Yeah, the hidden one. The hidden one. Yes, I had cosy time in in uh, my Po Valley, <laughs> living up, living its best possible life under disguise. Okay, leaving wine behind briefly. Briefly, yeah. Gin. What about some gin? Now, yes, like, so I, do, I don't mind if I do, thanks. <laughs> well, I was on Petersfield Market before, just before Christmas, mm. in the rain and the cold, and there was this chap in this little flappy tent yeah. with some bottles of gin in front of him. Oh, so you made did... your way over to him. I, I, I like felt beacon, I had to. It was like a beacon. It was like, you know, kind of, it was social care, I think, you know, visiting <laughs> the lonely, <laughs> this poor guy in his tent. <gasps> Oh, gotcha, I said, well, yeah, where's this, where's this from? And it's from just round the corner in Chichester. Oh, okay. The Nodding Donkey Distillery, would you believe? What a brilliant name. The gin is actually called Gerald's Gin. Yeah. But it's the Nodding Donkey Distillery. Talk a card. And I've had a chat with the lady in charge. It's actually James and Nicola Gerald, who are, I can't describe them as Nodding Donkeys, but the people in charge. The, the people in charge. Yeah. And yeah. she told me the story. Nicola. Nodding Donkey Distillery. <laughs> Where on earth does a name like that come from? Well, Jamie works in the oil industry and has done for many years. And uh, Nodding Donkeys are those sort of machines that you see, you often see them like in American westerns in the desert that go sort of up and down. They're like pumps. Mm. And they're called Nodding Donkeys. <laughs> and uh, we felt that we couldn't call the gin Nodding Donkey Gin, so it doesn't sound very good, but we wanted to <laughs> sort of have a tip to that it's somewhere in our company, so that's the company name. So so no crude oil is used in the making of your gin? Absolutely not. <laughs> <laughs> just, just, just pure alcohol. <laughs> but uh, there are some special things that you do put in your gin. So tell us about um, Gerald's Gin. What's the special thing about your gin? I think the the special thing about it is the, the fact that it's a forty eight percent gin. Um, Ooh, 48%, which is that's that's going strong. Some. I mean, you know, the navy strength gin is about fifty eight percent, I think. Um, and most artisan gins are probably over forty, um, but there's not many sort of at forty eight. So that's you know one of our sort of selling points. And the other thing is that we don't use a huge number of botanicals. We only mm-hmm. use seven. And I'll just go through those quickly. Oh, please um, do, yes. So we, we use a lot, a lot more juniper than most people do. And that's what I think gives it a really strong taste. Um, we wanted to make a gin that if you went into a pub and had a single gin tonic, you could actually taste gin without it being dwarfed by the huge variety of tonics that there are nowadays. Yes. Um, and again, that's another selling point is the fact that, you know, people do like to mix it up a bit and not just have ordinary tonic. You know, you can get uh, elderflower tonic, Earl Grey tea tonic, anything you fancy. And our gin sort of holds those well. Is there a particular one that you recommend with your gin? Funnily enough, we, I mean, we use Schweppes a lot. Just, just the straight tonic. Just, I mean, personally, we prefer just the straight, good quality tonic. Although saying that, actually, my favourite is Fentiman's do a pink grapefruit tonic, um, which is absolutely delicious, like in the summer with a slice of pink grapefruit and a sprig of rosemary in. It's just absolutely gorgeous. Mm, um, but I think it's nice. down to, you know, that's the good thing about gin is that it's just down to personal taste. Hmm. And lots of people, have, I mean, some people like it with soda and uh, lime, just, you know, if you don't like tonic very much. 
it's a very good I, thing to mix up. I distracted you from telling us about the botanical. Yeah. We've only got as far as juniper. There's, there's six yeah. more to go. Okay, so we've got juniper. We've got calamus root, which you can't really... Uh, it's like a flavour fixer. You can, it doesn't really smell or taste of anything in particular. Cardamoms, which is a very common ingredient in gin. Um, we use those and we use coriander, which again is a fairly common ingredient. Um, we also use grains of paradise, which is um, slightly peppery. And one of the unique things that we do have is um, we use Persian limes. And Jamie brings these back from Iraq. And they're literally limes that have been sun-dried. So oh. they're like black and hard, but the smell is absolutely amazing. And that's what gives the gin a slightly citrusy note. Right. So um, his hold luggage smells absolutely delightful. I, yeah, I, <laughs> I, I just had a vision there of him with a bulging suitcase and yeah, excess yeah. luggage charge full yeah. of limes. Yeah, no, they are, they are absolutely delicious. And in the mid, they're used widely in the Middle East um, in all sorts of cuisines and like they make cordial tea, everything like that. So uh, it's a very common ingredient over there, but not so much here. Mm. So uh, that's, again, a, a unique thing to us. But they are very nice indeed. And I have yet to cook with them, which I must do. And have we got to the end of the seven? I've lost count. Oh, Angelica. Sorry, that's ah. another one that we use. Yeah, so that's, that's the seven botanicals. So again, you know, it's just keeping it simple. We buy all our botanicals through a wholesaler based mm-hmm. in the UK, but I think virtually everything comes from overseas. Right. The junipers come from Macedonia, um, and then the various other things come from various other countries. But I, sadly, we, we have tried to source things here, but it's getting stuff on the scale is quite difficult. Yeah, so speaking of scale, what sort of scale are you producing on? Um, it varies hugely throughout the year. In fact, I've just been looking at our 2022 figures and, and the, it sort of bumps along quite nicely. And then in December, it just rocket. Yeah, so we're currently producing over 2,000 bottles a year, which uh, we're very happy with and it's very manageable. So, you know, we are small scale. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so we do, and we do everything here next to our house in Chichester. So the distillery is behind our garage. You'd never know, looking at our house, that anything was happening here on that sort of in that area there's no the actual process itself there's no smell there's no steam there's, there's nothing so you'd never notice here there's no noise so we're not disturbing our neighbors just quietly bubbling away and and it seems to be a garden shed well no it's not <laughs> it's a purpose-built room actually um right. <laughs> it's a bit smarter than a shed <laughs> so we, we, well, we a nice shed <laughs> it's a very nice shed i have to say we, we wanted to as I say, it's purpose-built, and, and um, we wanted to make a sort of nice working environment, so it's all clad in cedar and everything like that. Mm. So it's a really nice, when you're spending that amount of time in somewhere, you want to be somewhere nice. You want it to be nice, yeah. Yes, it's, it's, it is a thing of beauty, I have to say. Everyone, everyone, whenever people come around, they sort of walk in, and they're like, oh my goodness, I didn't know that was here. So, so you've got your still in there. What sort of capacity is that? Is there anything special about your still? Does it have a name? It, do you know, it doesn't have a name. And I don't know why, oh, because you are supposed you to name your stills, and I think we just haven't thought about it in five and a half years. We've, and it's not going to get one now, I don't think. Oh, we could have our listeners write in with name suggestions. For yes, you still. could do. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, but no, it's a two hundred and forty litre still, so it's quite mm. it's large. But because of Jamie's working commitments, he it's not like he we can distill every week. So when we do distill, it has to be on quite a large scale. So that means that we have a lot of bottled up gin ready to go at any one time, which is good. It was made in Germany and Jamie went over to Germany about six years ago and met the people that made the still. 
and they talked him through the process and then it was shipped over here actually for our 25th wedding anniversary amazingly oh, <laughs> I didn't get my wife anything like that <laughs> I know it was a fantastic wedding anniversary present <laughs> and uh, such was our enthusiasm that uh, we ourselves managed to get it from the, a pallet in the front garden down the side of the house and into the purpose built gin room and that's, I think there's a picture on the website of actually of us with a glass of champagne toasting our wedding anniversary and our new still we, so, we shall put that on the uh, on the web page for the mm, podcast so mm. that people can can see and admire it. Yes, yeah, do that. It's quite it's quite a good picture actually. It's quite nice. How does your particular distillation process work, and particularly with the botanicals? Are you are you macerating them? Are yes. They... So Jamie gets up at five o'clock in the morning and he tips five of the botanicals into the alcohol water mix. Um, and leaves them for about three and a half hours. Mm-hmm. And then the other two botanicals we put in a little basket, which sits above the liquid. Ah, yes. Then the still's turned on, and it's like in a, it sits in a, like a big water bath, so that heats the liquid up, and then obviously the alcohol evaporates, and then conden- really condenses down and comes out of a little tube into a bucket. Um, so it's a very it's a very simple process. I was a bit when Jamie first suggested it. I was a bit like, oh no, we can't possibly do that. But actually, when you see how it works, it's very easy, as provided you've got the right equipment. Obviously, yes, yes, exactly. um, that's the key thing. I think it's having you know decent equipment that uh, does everything for you. So it's it's good. You you have to sit and watch it. You can't just turn it on and walk away for the day. Just sort of every sort of so often you have to do stuff and things like that. So it's uh, you know it, it's very hands on. Hmm. And then we put the gin in stainless steel milk churns, which again is something that not many people do. So we leave it to rest, basically, for at least a fortnight, if not a lot longer, depending on on what, what what we need. And then we take it out of the milk churns and take it down to 48% ABV um, mm-hmm. and then bottle it. And we've got a very good bottling machine, so we can do bottle about 300 bottles in maybe two hours so it's very fast which is good and then it just sits there until we need it and then we i i hand label it all which is very time consuming every label put on by your own fair hand yeah although interestingly we have just um had a new label designed that is a fix it can be done at a factory so the first batch of those went out just before christmas and that's that's a it looks brilliant and also it takes away that labor of actually putting mm. every bo- every label on by hand. Do you have a number of different lines that you produce, or is it just, you know, this is our gin, this is what we produce? We do London Dry Gin, which is our main area of sales, but we also do mm. two different types of slow gin. Oh, I like a slow gin. It's delicious. So we've got one that's um, our limited edition slow gin, and for that one we hand-pick all the slow berries from all around Chichester. Oh, and then wonderful. they sit in our London dry gin for probably up to nine months. And that draws out all the flavor and the color. And then we taste it and then we add a sugar syrup because slow. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you've ever tasted the slow, but they're oh, horrible. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So we add sugar syrup to taste. Uh, we don't add the sugar at the beginning, which is what I think traditionally most people would do. We do it to our own it- taste. Yes, when I've done it myself, that's what I've done. It's been sugar and slows all in one go. Yeah, so if you, because uh, the slow berry taste varies from season to season. So, you know, we just, as I say, just do it how, how we like it. And then 
the all year round slow gin we buy in a, a fruit concentrate for that and so we we can make as much of that as we want. So that's why it's called all year round as opposed to the limited edition. Oh, the limited edition is the one that really appeals. The idea of you going out and gathering them from yeah, and we the do. bushes around Chichester. I think <laughs> yeah. that would be brilliant. Yeah, it was quite a good year this year, actually. I think we picked about 50 kilos. And then we put them in the freezer because that helps. To, traditionally, people used to prick each slowberry mm, with a pin. Yes. Um, but if you put them in the freezer, they they burst. So that does the job for you. And it also oh, keeps... Another useful well. tip. Where can people get hold of your gin? I mean, I saw you on the on the market in Petersfield. Yeah, so we, we've got... We do Petersfield, Emsworth, Arundel, Chichester, South Sea, Winchester sometimes. They're mainly the ones that we do. Mm-hmm. Dockists in Petersfield is Madeline's Delicatessen. She stocks it. Oh, yes, on 11th Street. Very good. Yeah. And then Hennings in Pulborough and Petworth now, because they've sadly the Chichester and Goring ones closed. Um, and then we've got Manuka in Chichester. So there's, and there's quite a lot over in East Sussex. So there's various stockists. Right. But we do a lot of online shopping. We've got a good online shop. So people, so, you know, and I do free local delivery. You don't even have to leave your armchair to, to order some gin. Marvelous. No, it is very good. And it works really well, actually, very well. Oh, well, that's fantastic. Nicola, thank you so much for talking to us today. No, it's a pleasure. Thank you very much for inviting us. You're drinking with... <laughs> you're drinking with Philip Maybe you are, maybe you're not. But what we meant to say was... You're listening to Petersfield Shine Radio, drinking with Phil and Mags. You've been on, on your travels again, I haven't did. you? I did. I jollied off. I was very, very lucky to escape to Spain for a couple of days in the sunshine. So we flew down to Malaga to visit mm-hmm. a very dear friend of ours who also likes wine. Terrible shame, obviously. Didn't enjoy any You've of it. You've just got to fit in, haven't yeah. you, sometimes? Yeah. And so you, you forget like that there is quite a lot of wine that's you know created and drunk down in Andalusia. It's most famous for its sherry. If you go on a trip to Andalusia, you'll typically go to Jerez, go and visit all the little Soleras and have all that sort of stuff. We were over the other side and I had a Malaga wine and I'd never had a Malaga wine before, but the Sierra de Malaga produces its own broad variety, I would say, of wines, some of which were more drinkable than others, Phil. Hmm. Hmm. Yes. I'm, I'm expecting down there... <laughs> It's really quite hot, and it's quite hot a lot of the time. There's not lots of variation. Yeah. So I'm thinking high alcohol, simple wines. Yeah, so actually what they grow most of is a sweet wine. So kind of the Muscatel grape, um, and it comes in like sweet, super sweet, or suck your teeth out sweet. So it's like <laughs> those three options of flavours. So there was that. But we actually managed to find a, a bottle of Syrah which, as you well know, is my favourite grape anyway. Indeed. So it's a good one to find. It was €18, Euros, so it was a little bit more expensive than some of the other ones that were on the uh, on the go. But we found a little bar in a village called Frihiliana. There was a little wine bar, and you sit outside on your barrel, mm-hmm. uh, and you go in and pick your wine, and then you pay a cork fee, and you just sit there and drink your bottle. So oh, terribly nice. civilised um, in terms of the choice. So my friend chose this one. It was completely OK. It was a change from what I was expecting, and it was a... Uh, a change from all the other options because while they grow lots of wine in Malaga, people have a preference for this sweet wine as their kind of morning tipple, um, this Muscatel. But mostly what you find when you go to any restaurant or anywhere down there is Ribeiro del Duero and Rioja. 
Mm-hmm. And so it was really nice to get this Syrah as a bit of a bit of a change to that, really. There was nothing wrong with it. It was completely okay, but it was not a standout example of yeah. its kind. So it tasted a little bit, you know, sometimes when it's really hot and, you know, the terrain there is actually quite mountainy, it tasted a little bit dusty. Yeah, you know, yeah. you sometimes get that not quite volcanic-y flavour that comes through. I know, through. just what you mean. Yeah. But it was really, really tasty and really, really lovely. But... I mean, all the wine in Spain was delicious. I'm not a massive fan of Rioja, I have to say, so I was always a bit disappointed to see that, but Ribeiro del Duero did not oh, disappoint. But Rioja's got a lot to offer. We'll do, we'll do we'll a session do on Rioja. I'm not a massive fan, but nearly all the wines, and I thought this was really interesting, regardless of where they were from, said on the on the menu you were able to choose whether it was like Herven, Crianza, Reserva, Gran Reserva, which are mm-hmm. typically the terms that we'd use for Rioja, but that was being applied to absolutely everything. So if you like young wine, um, yeah. you'd be able to get well, that in the, Spain anyway. The they do wine. use those terms, particularly for reds across Spain, Yeah. but the rules for what qualifies yeah, well, for each term and that's the, yeah, changes it, it does, and some the, of the language changes ever so slightly as well, but if you're a fan of the young wines, it's not, I mean, the fruity young stuff, then that, you're fine. Some of the Jovens are really nice, even in, in Rioja. Yeah. Really nice fruity wines. I'd say, well, we do need to do the Rioja thing, because I'm not a mad fan. But anyway, do you know what I found out, Phil? What? It was not the Romans that took the wine to Spain. It was the Phoenician traders. Phoenicians. It was Phoenicians, so not far from Romans. And I do like to always establish that it was the Romans that got involved somewhere <laughs> along the line. But no, along the line, somewhere along the line, Phoenician traders took their grapes down there and they were for a long, very long time prized as table grapes. So for about 3,000 years, Malaga was best known for its table grapes. And then they've obviously, and in fact, it was in 1932, somebody had a go with some wine and there it's all built up from there. Goodness So mate. there you go. Secrets and surprises in Andalusia. Well, I surprised myself when I was out and about in town just about uh, a week ago. Popped into the townhouse to meet some, some folk. I had the car with me. It was dry January. Yep. I thought, I will ask. I will ask the question, do you have an alcohol-free beer? Yes. And they did. Excellent. I was offered three, a selection <gasps> of three alcohol-free yeah, yeah, yeah. beers, yeah. and I drank one. I drank one, an IPA, and do you know what? It was actually really good. Well, it go. is the first time that has happened. That you've really enjoyed it. It was but packed quality. with citra hops. It was tasty. It looked like beer. It pretty much tasted like beer. I mean, you could tell it wasn't, but... It was, but it was so enough close. Of an experience. It was so yeah. close. Yeah, yeah. The quality has improved because I think for a long time it was very much kind of like you can have your bottle of lager, you know, what was it, Caliber or something like that, North Caliber from or something years ago, like that. Yeah. So, so ugh. things have definitely moved on from that. There's lots of choice. I think you know we're going to talk about beer next month. And I think so. It, it, let's talk it, about it some more. It came in quite a funky glass as well. Oh, I love all I that. Really Where enjoyed, the can I and, really you know, enjoyed matches it. the label and the whole experience. Uh, Super duper. And yeah. you know, that's. That's the thing that I think people are starting to get. It isn't just about drinking something that's not going to make you fall over. It's about being able to join in the convivial experience yeah. with your friends. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And if you've got even some of the flavours and the aromas and things like that, then you're well away. And you're, you're there with yeah. you know, your special glass and yeah. you know, the can still yeah. looks like it's a can of beer. And not, yeah. you know, you're not singled out as medicine being some special of some shadow, sort. are you? Yeah. yeah. So, um, yeah. Interesting time had by all. So in the realm of something different, I am in Panto this month because we're recording this in January, ready for February. Yes. So I'm spending quite a lot of time down at the Festival Hall. Oh yes, nice place, nice place. One of the nice things about the uh, the Panto is 
when we finish the show of an evening, yes. we all migrate into the bar. Do you? And you can get a nice, good value drink at the bar. And I spoke to the lady who was dishing it up. So our bar manager for Robin Hood is Lucy Davis. This is something a little bit different. On Drinking with Phil and Mags, we've visited breweries and winemakers and quite a few pubs and bars, but this time I'm with Lucy in the Rose Room of the Festival Hall in Petersfield because today it's Panto and there's a bar and Lucy's oh, yes, a bar there manager. Is. Yes, there, <laughs> yes, is. there is. I'm not even going to contradict you. So, Lucy, how come you're the bar manager in the pantomime? Uh, so we've done quite a lot of bits and pieces, really, with winter players. I mean, you know, Phil, many, many years in the making. Um, I've, yes, absolutely. A uh, bit of a thigh slap there. Bar manager, it's really, I was going to say it's a really easy job. It's, <laughs> there's, there's differing levels. Um, I've got quite a lot of bar experience anyway. Um, Which side is that? Both sides. Both sides, Phil. <laughs> both sides. It's a pop-up bar here at the Festival Hall for us, so we get all our own stock in, which means, obviously, any money we make goes back to the group, to Winton Players, uh, which is great. So it's a really nice little support to the takings in. We don't have a huge range of drinks necessarily, because obviously we are only here for a couple of weeks, but we've got plenty to keep mm. to keep everybody in a yeah, it's, in it's, a good mood, it's shall not we say. A bad little selection. It's not so a bad selection. Tell us a little bit about what you've got and, and, and what's been going well. So uh, we have red wine and white wine. This for this run we have we have a Merlot. Fairly kind of standard range stuff because obviously we want to please as many people broad as we can. Appeal. Yes, yeah. broad appeal, absolutely. So we have a Marlboro Sauvignon and we have a uh, Merlot uh, on the wine and we have single serve proseccos. Which is a relatively new thing actually on our bars, I think. Uh, it's only been in for the last few shows. Uh, but that goes quite well. Yeah. Particularly on the Friday and Saturday nights, as you can imagine. Then we have uh, gin and tonics, and we have. Yeah, you've got the ready mixed gin and tonics, yes. but in both full fat yes, and diet. I know, versions. all of the choices, all of the choices. And then we've got a few lagers, and we do some ales as well. So, and then. Uh, then soft drinks range of soft drinks as well you've, you've got the San Pellegrino so yeah, quite classy yeah, quite, quite classy quite nice, yeah actually that's reasonably again reasonably new on the docket so mm. to speak uh, but they've actually gone down a storm <laughs> this time brilliant um, so yeah so that's definitely then will be I'm looking at the prices that you're charging so <laughs> a standard sized glass of wine which is 125 mil three pounds beer three pounds mm-hmm. lager three pounds yes I, all very reasonable very price. reasonable isn't very it? reasonable and price. you're still That's making our... yes, dis- yeah. decent profit on we that do. for the for the company absolutely yeah it's um it's surprising but but yes yeah we keep our prices and very we don't want people running off around the corner dare, dare <laughs> we share the, the secret of how we keep the prices so low how much do you get paid for this lucy oh yes it's all voluntary it's all voluntary. So uh, I'm here because I'm a long-term member of the society. I'm on the committee. Uh, so for my sins, <laughs> um, <laughs> when I'm not... Into well, yes, exactly. Uh, for my sins, when I'm not uh, on stage performing, which I do occasionally, I uh, help out front of house when there's productions going on. I'm very grateful we are yes, too. of course. <laughs> so there's the message. If you see that there's a show going on at the Festival Hall with one of the local groups... And you think, oh, but I was thinking I might go out and have a little drink and chat with friends that night. 
you can do both. Yeah. Come to the Rose Room because all the societies do a absolutely. similar kind of thing. Yes, don't they? absolutely. Yeah, and um, again, P- uh, PTG particularly, they they have a, a very they have, they have a very range committed. Of they have a very committed bar manager, Mr. Ro- uh, Rob Ingram, who does phenomenal things. You can get cocktails. He sometimes has been known to do dinner experiences in the mix as well. So there's always it's always worth checking out, and then you get a show. Uh, you get to come along to a show as well, so it's definitely come definitely for the bar and enjoy out. the show as absolutely, well. Absolutely, <laughs> absolutely. Lucy, thanks so much Thank for talking you very, very much. much. You're listening to Drinking with Phil and Mags on Petersfield Shine Radio. So, Phil, you have been having a chat with a very enthusiastic friend of the show, lovely David Kelly. Yes, David and I go back a few years and. Uh, I know him to be a real enthusiast. So just to position this, so they've known each other for a few years. Generally speaking, Phil and David met. Um, David's business ethos is really that uh, he used to have a lovely wine in a nice restaurant but never be able to buy it, so set up his own company so that he could start um, it's, start it's very it. much like you know you you write the book you'd want to read yeah so he set yeah. up the wine company he'd like so to buy I like, from. So I, and I like that and you have to have a certain level of knowledge and passion and enthusiasm to be able to do that and for me that really shines through in this little chat lovely little chat that you've had with david let's have a listen we've known each other for a few years now but give me a bit of an insight into your business model how does it work what do you do where do you get it from things like that good there's a there's a leading few questions yes so <laughs> good morning um okay so i started this actually 20 years ago next month coming oh up 20 happy anniversary now, so. very nearly thank you <laughs> yeah surprise surprise they say uh, nine out of ten startups fail well this one didn't it really started from a hole i saw in the market where i was going to restaurants back in 2002 2003 having fantastic wines and you cannot buy them. Even back then, 20 years ago, you did have certain high street off licenses, which unfortunately died a death now. Uh, that's another thing. That's the yeah, internet. We're not uh, thinking thing. odd bins, are we? Uh, yeah, the likes of, yeah. I mean, there were lots of them, weren't they? Bottoms up, odd Nicholas. bins. Nicholas. Yeah, yeah. And, and you even had the independence on the high streets in nearly every town. There would be a wine shop which there aren't anymore. I, I saw one in Seven Oaks actually the other day and I was quite taken aback by it and had to go in and have a look just to see how they were doing it and what they were doing. And it was uh, quite interesting. And they seem to be doing very well, but an affluent area of Seven Oaks, you're not surprised. But um, but no, I, I saw this hole in the market where I couldn't buy these wines. So it's a selfish thing to start with. And at the time I was working for a German wine grower, selling their wines all over Surrey and the Channel Islands and everything. So doing really well at that. So I know a bit about wine, but I couldn't find these good wines in the shops in the high street. So I approached some of the big suppliers that were in the UK, shall remain nameless, but some of them are still around now, and just said, how are you selling your wines? And it's, well, we sell them to restaurants, hotels, bars, clubs. So I said, what about us normal people on the street? And it's, you don't get them. How, how can this be? This is This is crazy. So I was quite into the internet then. It was a growing thing, even though I think there was a report that was said it would fade out in a year or two, which was, <laughs> looking at it now, 20 years later, is, is quite surreal. But I, I thought, well, I wonder if I could sell these online and start to get a bit of a following online. Because I, I was seeing people in the home doing home wine tastings, 
But of course, there's only 24 hours in a day and seven days in a week. And I just couldn't get to enough people. So I saw the internet as a quite a good vessel to sell some of these wines to the home buyer, the public in general. So I set up the e-shop as it was. I had to build the site myself then, page by page, HTML. Oh, uh, lovely stuff. And it took like a day or two to do one page. So a website, I did that with about 30 or 40 pages. You can imagine the... But I started to sell. Not Nothing huge, but people were starting to buy online. Then I sourced from these winery, these importers that I've gone and asked and said, look, you sell to me at trade, I'll sell it on the internet. They thought I was crazy because nobody bought on the internet back then, but thought, hey, it's another avenue for us. If it works or fails, who cares? It'll give us another outlet. Of course, yeah, 22 years later, it's all a bit different with the likes of Vivino and um, Virgin, Naked Wines, all, all of these other online wine shops now. It's, it's all a bit of a bit of a craze, but happy to have been one of the pioneers of it all those years ago and still still doing it to this day, which is even better. Congratulations on that. And Thank you. Do, you, do you still have that USP where you are selling us wines that actually we're not going to find from the Sunday Times Wine Club and Virgin and those sort of people? Very much so. I mean, my passion has grown over the years. This is why if you have your own business and you do especially something like wine, you've got to have a passion. You've got to be addicted to it. And um, a little bit more than all this might make me a few quid because obviously it doesn't in the long run. It's kept me alive for 20 years, put it that way. And, um, <laughs> my worst thing is working for someone else. That, that's I just can't do it. It's, it's not in my makeup, so I, I have to work for myself. So, yeah, it was a foregone conclusion. I'd end up having my own business. But no, I mean, my passion is finding wines from around the world that you can't get hold of, that aren't readily available, of incredible quality. That That's, that's my main thing. I've always been one of those unfortunate people that suffers terribly from hangovers and headaches from bad wine. So I cannot drink a bad wine. So it's not a snobby thing that I drink good wine. It's, it's because I suffer terribly. You're, you're simply caring for your health, aren't you? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, and I hate headaches. And, and I get migraines. I can drink one glass of a bad wine and I'm written off for two two days. That's one of the reasons when in the the 90s I did a bit of homework and looked into wine as a whole looked into it a bit more than just picking a bottle up from a supermarket shelf for a fiver or whatever it was back then and I found that there are two completely different styles of wine there there is good wine and there's not good wine what would you say is the delineation between those two what what is being done with a bad wine that makes it Bad. The, the main ingredient for, for a, a good wine is grapes. Um, and a bad wine, it's not. It's chemicals, flavours, sugars, preservatives, colours, and every other nasty things. I, I always say to people, Google EU allowed wine additives. Typical ingredients that go into supermarket wines, you sell, lower grade wines, formaldehyde, sulfuric acid, hydrochloric acid, just to name a few which, which would turn me off eating or drinking anything with those ingredients in. I can always remember at school learning what sulfuric acid does when you spill it on your hand. That that was mm. our teacher told us a hundred times not to do it, and then quickly went and done it himself, and was rushed out of the, the lab that we were in at, at our school and, and taken to hospital. So, Ooh, well, <laughs> it calls to mind the old rhyme: um, "Poor old Dave is dead and gone. His face we'll see no more. For what he thought was H two O was H two S O four. Brilliant." I didn't know that one, but yeah. That's, that's dredged up from the depths. You're all about good wine, 
And yeah. I know that you've moved beyond sourcing it from other wholesalers. You actually do go and talk to the vineyards, to the winemakers themselves, don't you? The, the, the nice thing that I've learned over the years is that you've got to get it yourself. If, if you really want the good stuff and to, to source the nice grow. I mean, I, I have so many lovely growers now. I'm, I'm WhatsApp friends with them. Like, like you, Phil. I, mean, I get Christmas wishes, birthday wishes, you know, have a nice week wishes. And these are all from wine growers that I've sourced personally from around the world. But yeah, I mean, we moved on from using the big suppliers. No real reason why I still use some of them. But the main thing is I, I just wanted to do it myself. And I wanted to meet some of these winemakers um, and really generally get a good deal for the customer, you know, my mm. clients. And as you know, we also do wine safaris to the regions that we do import wines from, especially around Europe at the moment. Um, and we're, we're able to take our clients to the wineries of the wines they love, meet the winemaker, meet the nonna, which is the normal thing in Italy. They, yeah, they, yeah. Wheel, the, they wheel grandma out with, with the bread, the cheese, the hams and, and everything. And the winemaker comes out and the owner comes out and they pour the wine normally on a, a bale of hay in the middle of a, um, a vineyard somewhere, which is it's fabulous. It's it's very authentic and it's just wonderful. And I, I wanted to do more of that. And really, with with the USP of we supply the best wines in the world, I really wanted to fulfil it personally and get some of the best wines from the best wineries that you just don't hear about don't mm. get the chance to see and, and a lot of the wine makers we import from are people that just wouldn't get the chance in in the uk they, they just yeah. wouldn't get a look in there they're not commercial enough you know for the big companies they don't they don't have a big online presence <laughs> my main headache with them as well as my love is that you try and pay them and you can't back or anything like that you, you have to visit with with euros. And it's, it's a very funny thing. It, it, my accountant's always shouting at me, so you can't do this. And I know, I know, but I do get a receipt for it. And but the, the, these guys don't have bank accounts. They're farmers. They know yeah. nothing about the internet. And, and following on from that, one one of the loveliest things I often hear from when I um, when I go and meet a winery for the first time, I, I sort of inquire as to so um, your winery is it organic? And they look at me and say, what does that mean? Wait, oh, you'll do. <laughs> All of that brings us kind of almost full circle because you're clearly dealing with people who have a passion for what they do. Now, a warehouse doesn't really you know, fill one with passion and excitement. But when you're talking to the people who are up to their elbows in the soil, in the vines, in the grapes, their, their heart and soul is in that glass that you're drinking, isn't it? Absolutely, 100%. How do people find you? You're online. What's the website? Okay, so it's Great Wines Direct, the G-R-E-A-T-W-I-N-E-S-D-I-R-E-C-T dot co dot UK. Well, that seems easy enough. So all one word, no spaces, no hyphens, greatwinesdirect.co.uk. David, thank you so much for chatting with us. Been a pleasure. So, Max, as the statistician and archivist and researcher for the show, tell us about the drinking days. The drinking days in February. On the 1st of February, I feel like this sounds like it should be the start of the 12 days of Christmas, but it's not. But on the 1st day of February. <laughs> on the 1st day of February, February. It is ferment day. Ferment day? Ferment has its very own day. Now, you might see ferment from Austria... But it is most famous, obviously, for being Hungarian Tokai. 
With its buttons. With its little petunias, which was one of my favourite things I was learned. How sweet is it? Like about three, <laughs> five buttons. Little petunias. So how sweet is your tokai? How many buttons is it? How many buttons has it got? So have yourself a little ferment. Now, I have had ferment on its own that's not been tokai'd. I'm not a wild fan, I have to say. I, I think it's best tokai'd. I think it's best tokai'd as well. The one I've had, it's got a little bit of a sherry-ish edge mm. to it. Which I don't really find madly appealing. No, it was it was it was sort of a but, nothing nothingness. It hadn't gone far enough. So like, yeah, yeah try. It. I mean, maybe maybe they'll continue but, to develop hey, their output. We're we're just we're two just, palettes. Yes, there's, absolutely. There's plenty of people out there who love the stuff to death. And so on the first of February, you could try it yourself on the ferment day. Uh, on the fifth, this is a day all for you, Phil. It's Rosé Day, the 5th of rose February. Rosé Day! I don't know, listeners, if Phil has ever mentioned this before, but Phil has written a book about rosé wines, available I, I think it should be compulsory we mention this in every programme. No, I don't think it should be, but uh, <laughs> it happens to be a relevant link there. So Phil is a mad, ardent fan of rosé. I am blasé about rosé. <laughs> uh, but, uh, but that's even, volume two. <laughs> but even, even, even I have come round to some of its evil ways. Um <laughs> doesn't feel appropriate to me drinking that in February. February's not really the no, time for and it. and then you go digging best. around and you go primarily it's celebrated in Australia and New Zealand and that makes more sense because they're basking in the summer sun well, for well, which we yeah. know it best as a drink. Um, so we'll move swiftly on. My day next. 16th of February is Syrah Day. Syrah Day. Day. Yeah, <sighs> that's celebrated everywhere uh, and I probably will celebrate that because I do like that grape. Um, but by a curious coincidence... We're just having ourselves to get in the mood a tiny mm, a little tiny glass little tipple, yeah. of petit syrah. We are petit syrah. In fact, Mexican petit syrah. Mexican so we don't just syrah. have any old little tipply poos when we. Uh, Which, when in, we, in the way of wine, is entirely unrelated to syrah. Well, exactly, because <laughs> that's. But anyway, so so what was your logic? Anyway, that could go for eighteenth of eighteenth of February, which is Global Drink Wine Day. Okay. So I mean that narrows that narrows, that narrows, it, narrows it down. Narrows down the possibilities, doesn't it? For what you who's what coming you up have. with these days? We well, need to have a uh, word with them. We do, but also on the twenty fifth of February, we might want to have a word. And I think this should definitely be one to celebrate. It's open that bottle night. Now, open the concept of open that bottle night is if you are sitting on something and you haven't yet drunk it, and you think I'm saving that for something. Listeners, do not save it anymore. Don't save things for best. I have to tell you. Through various channels, I came into a few bottles of wine that had been in that position. Mm. And thought, oh golly. When do I drink that? What must it be like? Mm. And, you know, I I put on the the leather gloves and the the goggles because my anticipation was that it wasn't going to be good. Had it not been kept properly, Phil? It had not been kept and it had been kept really, really, really far too long. Yeah. So the reds oh, and the yeah, whites were almost indistinguishable. Oh, ha- so brown they had gone. <gasps> oh my goodness. The reds were just thin, vinegary, brown, with a layer of sludge in the bottom. Oh, you're ma- not making this sound and terribly appealing. Drunk within a couple of years of the purchase date would have been fine. Yes. Would have been great, would have been really enjoyable. But not that now. time mm. was 
more than a dozen years ago. Oh gosh, no, that is because quite a long... people keep stuff at the back of the cupboard. Yeah, and there's this concept of you know, old wine is good wine. Not always. No, not no, generally not speaking. No, no, no. So that's the concept then. That that's neatly summarises like open that bottle night. So what are you saving it for? Is the question. If you know what you're saving it for, that's absolutely fine. But make sure you drink it on that occasion. Otherwise, don't waste it. You know, like every day is a day for celebration. Open we that we made it night. through another one. <laughs> yeah. Open that bottle night, 25th of February. So there you go. That's what February holds in terms of drinking days. Except, of course, for February the 14th. Well, that's Valentine's night. That's not not mentioned as a specific drinking date, but I think that is a... That is a I th- I for l'amour, that is... For l'amour, one should share a glass with a loved one. Well, one should, and typically that would sparkle. A little sparkling something. And, yeah, a little yeah, sparkle. Why not try something probably. English this year? Well, English sparkling wine. Patronising the French. Absolutely. Although no, we, we do like love it. to patronise the French. <laughs> oh, Phil, all oh, the jokes. Oh, dear, dear, but, yes, dear. So. So, Mags, you tell me that we have a question to answer. We do. The lovely Anne, who is in South Australia, Mm. was asking me about what she should be drinking instead of New Zealand's Sauvignon Blanc. So, Anne has a Sauvignon Blanc habit, but Mm. in South Australia... Obviously, there's quite a lot of wine growers, and she, uh, Anne was talking about how she'd like to support her homegrown, you know, mm-hmm. viticulture and viniculture, uh, be more supportive to her local farmers. So, Mags, what should I drink instead? And I thought that was quite an interesting question because Sauvignon in Australia tastes a bit different to Sauvignon in New Zealand. New Zealand, yeah. New, Zealand New Zealand is Zealand. like a, a very refreshing Cooler. glass of lime juice, whereas Australia is super hot, so very different. I know you're in South Australia, but I think you should have a little voyage around parts of Australia to see what you like. I think you might like to head over to Margaret River. That's a bit more classic. That, you know, is, that is exactly the French what style, I was thinking. Often in the French style. Really elegant, so you'll you'll be more familiar with some of that. But then, on your tour, I think you need to head to Barossa. And then I also think you should go to Tasmania. Now, Tasmania is a little bit cooler because it's a bit further south. Mm. Has a really interesting kind of wine-growing regions and things like, things like that. And I had a wine from there once called a Sauvignon Fumé that genuinely tasted, it was super, super elegant, but had a real back note of smoke to it, which doesn't sound that appealing, but was utterly delicious. It was that beautiful, roly kind of smooth smoke. It wasn't like bitter, hard mm, kind of fire mm. smoke. But the Sauvignon Fumé, if you ever get a chance to try that... It was the white that, smoke of a new pope, not the black smoke of a failed election. <laughs> if you want to describe it like that it absolutely was but it was a beautiful elegant wine but the other thing I was going to say is you might see in Australia Sauvignon Semillon as a better blend it does it's very different it's not the same as your no, it's the classic Bordeaux blend. But it's the classic Sauvignon Bordeaux blend, um, and it, it sort of heightens it a little bit more. You might your mouth, you'll find the mouthfeel a little bit richer. But it's it's a blend that's been around for a long time mm. for a very good reason. And quite a lot of the South Australian growers, so the ones who are indistinct in their regions, so when it just says Southeast Australia on the bottle, it's very hard to get just plain Sauvignon. It is mostly Sauvignon Semillon because mm. it's blended from a from a number of different areas. But if you want to support your local farmers, that's what I suggest. But if you fancy a Sauvignon, there are other places to go than New Zealand. Well, one of the things I've been doing recently is working my way through Sauvignons around the world. How are you? Well, provide uh, some advice for lovely Anne. Italy. 
Italy. We never see a Sauvignon Blanc no, on the shelf true. from Italy. They make some great Sauvignon Blanc, particularly up in the Veneto area, yes, yes. Up, in the, up in the north of Italy. You can find Sauvignon Blanc from almost anywhere. Yeah. The Spanish make Sauvignon Blanc. I'm quite partial to the South African coastal region, I, that kind of area. They make some nice Sauvignon there. I've just put away it. And it's, uh, the, the South African stuff is kind of halfway house between the New yeah. Zealand and the French. Yes, yeah. It's got a little nod to the French, but it's got a little bit of the fruitiness and the citrus character that yeah. you get. And it's kind of more grapefruity than limey. Yes, it's a very, it's a more, tro- I would say it's more tropical flavour mm. profile, which is, yeah. Note for all. Just seeing a bottle that says Sauvignon Blanc doesn't mean it's going to taste like the n- bottle next to it that also says Sauvignon Blanc. They can taste really they can. very different. This is where territory becomes so, fi- so important because yeah. it just picks up. find one that really appeals to your palate. Yeah. It's what you like that matters. It is what you like that matters. And I think, you know, having having the bravery to go and experiment with something different is, is part of that. So, Anne, my lovely, just give it a whirl. Maybe get, maybe try and Margaret River and then start from, over, start from elsewhere. And, of course, Margaret River. Lovely links to Petersfield. Oh, yes, of course it does, doesn't it? Yes, because Margaret, the Margaret that Margaret River is named after, came from Petersfield. Neatly bringing our global audience back into the Petersphere. I love it. <laughs> you are listening to That's Petersfield what Shine Radio, Shine Radio. Is all about. <laughs> I've set you up, Mags. I've told them all about Carmen Yair. I've enticed them with its velvety plumminess. What should they be drinking? Well, I am going to recommend one from our very favourite in-town wine store, the General Wine. Now, they've got a few in stock, so you've got some choice, depending how much money you want to spend. Mm-hmm. But uh, I bought the one for thirteen ninety nine, and it's the Terra Noble Reserva Blue from the Mole Valley. Everything that you would expect. Lovely plumminess, tiny little bit of chocolatiness. It was all very nom-nom, very delicious. Not too oaky, but... You could tell it had had some time on oak. And as you were describing, it's like, it's just like a dialed, it's not, it's more than a dialed up Merlot, but you, it's like the flavours are dialed up, but then it's not a full on fruity frontal assault. It's kind of really mm. elegant within that. So what did I have it with? Because the way we like to talk wine and food. Wine and food, when we they re- go together. Recommending the, um, and in this case, I think I've mentioned before, my husband does like a sausage and we had a lentil, <laughs> we had a lentil sausage casserole and it was a perfect oh, companion to that. A little bit of salty all. bacon and, you know, nice, rich, kind of tiny little bit of tomato and some, but it was really yummy. I really, we were like red-cheeked with happiness by the end of it. You know, when you've had a nice, nice dinner, a nice, satisfying dinner and uh, a nice glass of wine to go with it. So there we go. Get yourself into the general wine for that one. And there it is. We've come to the end of another month's drinking with Phil and Mag. Surely not. Uh, I, I know, the time just flies time by, Time whizzes it? by, darling, yeah. What are we talking about next month, Phil? Well, next month we're going to go on a bit more of a beer kind of theme wine and beer no idea (laughs) i'm gonna visit the guys of the powder monkey oh that sounds nice because i drank some of their beer over christmas and chatted to one of their guys and so thought they're doing some really interesting things i mean really unexpected why um i was gonna say wine making but well, that would be unexpected in a brewery. With yeah. a kind of wine mindset. Mm, it's it's really interesting. We need to hear about this, yeah. And I'm going to see the flower pot men. Bill and Ben flobber. I mean that's <laughs> generationally that's that's missing quite a lot of people there, Phil. Yeah. So the flower pots brewery at yes. Cheriton. Yes. 
Oh, that would be lovely. Oh, well done you for getting out and about to talk about What, what else are we going to talk about? Uh, we'll probably have a wine of the month because we always have a wine of the month. There will be some days to joke about. As ever, we would love some more listeners' questions. We so really like would. the lovely Anne in Australia, please challenge us with your strange and amazing questions. I'm going to, I'm going to set us a challenge. Are you? What's the I'm challenge? I'm going to set us a challenge. I'm going to say, what about having our grape of the month as chasselas? Oh, now, that is a challenge, isn't a, there's it? There's at least fifty percent of our audience going, "What?" Yeah, but you're going off <laughs> but on a. That's yeah. what we're about. Introduce you to new things. Yeah. Okay. Let's do that then. So we will find some updates for you. So you're asking what it is. We'll tell you. So remember, until then, let's all drink less, less but, but better. better, and see you soon. See you soon. Bye. A local job in care could earn you up to £39,000 a year. Join us at the Signature Recruitment Fair in Hindhead to find out more about jobs in care, hospitality and catering. We'll be at Signature at Moorlands on Friday the 10th and Saturday the 11th of February. Visit us in person or apply online at wakeuptobetter.com. Salary based on a 48-hour week at £16 an hour.